1: everyone. And thank you for listening to the Futurati podcast. We've got something a little different for you tonight. Um, Thomas and I decided to pull the trigger on a, an episode format that we've been kicking around for some time after we had a guest cancel on us. And we're going to do a solo episode where in this context, solo means just the two of us uh, kicking around a topic that we don't know that much about. So uh, I think that puts us on par with with most of the media outlets uh, today. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to be discussing SPACs uh no doubt you've read about this um, in in the financial times it's, it's become sort of a hot topic in uh, wall street circles see this is
0: s-a-p-c s-p-a-c S-P-C. s-p-a-c which is an acronym right we're, we're off to a great start and, uh, yeah and we shouldn't even pronounce acronyms i don't think so yeah tom, tom
1: has this long-standing uh, enmity with with acronyms if you go back to some of our episode uh, episodes in the back catalog you'll see him complaining about acronyms um and, I, and I've told him that acronyms, they, they serve a vital function in, in human life and, and they allow us to communicate at far greater speed. So I, I don't know why he's so upset about it, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into that. So we have a whole hour with no guest uh, to fill. So yeah, SPACs are special purpose acquisition companies. And you can think of them as being essentially like shell companies, which are set up by investors and and business people for the express purpose of raising money to eventually merge with or acquire a different company. So what will happen is a SPAC will be formed and they will raise money through an IPO. And that that money will be used to purchase or merge with a a different company somewhere down the line. So uh, a gambling platform or... Uh, transportation startup, whatever it is. I mean, you can, with a SPAC, you can merge with anything else. And a SPAC by itself is a business that has no commercial operations. So they're not running anything, they're not uh, handling logistics, they're not setting up factories, they're just raising money so that down the line, uh, they can merge with another company and...
0: But it has a team of advisors.
1: That's right. So it's it's a team of advisors that issues this IPO. That's the whole of their assets. They use that to acquire another company, to merge with another company. And this has become a, a sort of a popular way of going public. Instead of a company going the traditional IPO route, they can do it through a SPAC instead. And there are, are various advantages and disadvantages to doing this.
0: Yeah, the investors are betting on the, uh, the caliber of these advisors. And if they're venture capitalists, if they're celebrities, if if they got a good track record, then they think it's a good bet. And uh, there happens to be a lot of money floating around right now. And so this is one of the, the
1: hottest new tools out there for doing the fast track to an IPO. Right. And I, I guess that's as good a place to, to begin as any. So you mentioned that There's a lot of money floating around, and so this has become very popular. Does that mean that SPACs are relatively new, or or that they've come on the scene in the past four or five years? Uh,
0: They've actually been around for a long time, but they've just not been a tool that uh, virtually anybody paid attention to. um, Because it seems real speculative to just give uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to to, uh, just a couple of smart guys. Right. That don't really have any anything really to put the money in. in the, it basically, they're saying, yeah, just trust us here, right? Um,
1: and th- there's all kinds of things that can go wrong along the way, right? So it's uh, spacs are also sometimes called blank check companies for this reason. So sometimes the spac will not make it clear what company they hope to eventually acquire, and sometimes they don't actually know. They just know they they. They're in a sector they're excited about, and they eventually want to do something. So it's often the case that the people writing these checks don't know what the SPAC is eventually going to do with their money. That's exactly the case,
0: and um, and see the big drawback is is it. it when when you're building a company i mean it's really hard to build a durable company something that's going to survive all the ups and downs of a market and and so this has been my complaint with venture capital funded companies all along is that when you throw a lot of money and a lot of people at a problem uh, and try to solve it that most often it doesn't work in fact uh, i use this as an analogy that 75 percent of people that win the lottery go bankrupt. And it's it's an equal number 75% of the early stage companies that get VC money also go bankrupt. And, uh, and so it's really difficult to adjust to that new level of wealth. Uh, So this idea of building a durable company building somebody with uh, something that has the right talent and the right mix of personalities and culture. uh, And the right formula for working with customers, all of those things take a lot uh, a lot of time to perfect.
1: So you're saying that shut up and take my money is not a viable investment strategy? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's probably not. <laughs> okay, so what is it that is driving the popularity of SPACs today? You mentioned that there's a lot of money, but I, I seem to recall there being some talk about this a year or two ago before the major rollouts of most of the, the stimulus bills. So why now is it becoming so popular?
0: Yeah, because it's a fast track to an IPO. Um, it cuts out a lot of the, the middleman. It cuts out a lot of the time that you normally take to, to file an IPO. And so um, it's, there's uh, just seems like that's the primary
1: reason for getting so much traction. So let's talk a little bit about that. What does it mean when a company goes public and why would a company want to go public?
0: Well, there again, I think there's drawbacks to going public as well. Um it, it, back in uh, the early 2000s, we've had a number of scandals that have have happened in the in the stock market, and uh, they've made it much more difficult to go public. So there's actually not enough companies for the amount of money that's out there. And so when you, when companies go public, it's much easier than to uh, to raise funds, uh later on because they're public companies. But when you do that, um you you have other people uh use this crazy phrase that are up in your business that are they're they're uh, um Literally kinda, up in your business. Yeah, they're 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 very nosy figuring out what what you're doing wrong and there are a lot of things that are written about public companies that if you're a private company they wouldn't they wouldn't know what's happening inside. Um so you're you have a lot of transparency in your operation and that can be good and that can be bad
1: uh depending on what all
0: that you're you're trying to do
1: so you said that there are too many dollars relative to the number of companies that are available now do you have any thoughts as to how that state of affairs came about um
0: yeah that the well was see see in the in the political world politicians, um, whenever they, they, they see a problem, they only have really one tool to fix the problem, which is new rules, new laws, new regulations. And, and so every time we've had problems in the past, whether it's with the stock market or investing world, um, the, the formula has always been, let's throw new rules in here to solve this problem. Um, you know, in the real estate world over the years that uh, we've gone through many, many waves of this. And that's why when you close on a new house, when you're buying a house, the, the number of documents you sign is just, uh, you have to sign your name a hundred times or 200 times, right. depending on what kind of transaction it is. And um, it's a staggering number of, of details you have to pay attention to now to, to make that transaction. And, and so over the years, um, the investing world has gotten more and more complicated. So once somebody comes up with a quick path to cash, an easy way to do things, everybody's paying quick, uh, a lot of attention to it. Um, I mean, just a few years old, uh, a few years ago, they were um, uh, initial coin offerings were, were all the rage. And that lasted I don't know, six, eight months, or this is for
1: blockchains issuing their own currency,
0: right for Yeah, the and, and a bunch of money people made made a bunch of people made a lot of money real fast, and then it all started to fall apart. Um, And so we've seen um, kind of hot new trends like this in the past, and they've come and gone quickly. Um, In in this world, the SPACs, I think, are going to be around for a while, but I think they're going to be, uh, have a lot more regulation added onto them in the near future.
1: So part of the appeal of a SPAC is just that it allows you to do an in run around some of the regulation that comes with an IPO. So if a company wants to go public, the IPO process is rather grueling, and SPACs are a vehicle to kind of just punch right through that and not have to worry as much about the red tape.
0: Right, right. Right. Um, you do things in months rather than years. Uh, e- essentially, it's 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 something like that. Uh, the, the big headline uh, a couple of days ago was that WeWork is is going to go public through a SPAC um, through a fund that's uh, being advised by Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, nice!
1: Um, known for his investment prowess.
0: Yeah, and known for yeah understanding co-working for sure. Right.
1: Um. <laughs> Yeah, so so WeWork was mired in all this controversy owing to some uh, some scrutiny over the management practices of uh, it was Adam Newman the founder yeah Adam Newman and so now they're looking at SPACs as a way of going public that sort of allows them to circumvent some of that bad press and some of the rules right right um, is that going to work
0: uh, is that a good investment um, they 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 do have control over a lot of. Key properties around in, in major cities. Uh,
1: and yeah, do, the co- do they like that? Yeah. They kind of fell off my radar after Newman cratered. So I, I don't even know what the status of WeWork is now. They, they still have a lot of properties and a lot of assets.
0: Yeah. Uh, actually, so they might be kind
1: of attractive as an investment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My son is actually uh, renting an office in a co-working space in Chicago, and, um, and the reason he he decided to go with WeWork is because virtually all the other co-working spaces have fallen apart.
1: Interesting. Yeah, so, WeWork so, has managed to weather the storm, the coronavirus storm. Yeah, even
0: though they probably lost, I, I think it was something like two and a half billion last year. Oh I mean, they, they lost a tremendous amount of money. Um, can they turn it around? I have no idea. Um, it would be be remarkable. Uh, I guess we're gonna find out.
1: Yeah, we're gonna find out. <laughs> yeah, for only fifty thousand dollar blank check, you can contribute to the possible <laughs> success or failure of this future. Yeah, yeah, you too can be one of the investors. <laughs> so. Um, you mentioned that you thought SPACs were going to be around for some time. Well, What makes you think they have staying power and they're not a flash in the pan?
0: <clears throat> well, this is um, um, this this is a tool that's been around for for some time already, and it just seems like um, the the perfect storm of sorts to that everything came together to make it so that they're they're actually um, very appealing at the moment. Um, I th- I think it's just a matter of of tweaking th- this formula, uh, and and it will have
1: quite a bit of staying power. Um, but tweaking the formula might involve lots more SEC regulations, which would kind of obviate some of the advantages that a SPAC has, right? Yeah. So yeah, th- it'll have staying power, but they'll be less appealing. So, so it will come to resemble the, the IPO route more and more as the, <laughs> as the SEC puts its little fences up. Pretty much, yeah. That's well, but there, there still will be some important differences because one thing I didn't mention at the top of the show is that SPACs legally have two years in which to invest the funds that they raise in their own IPO uh, a- after which point they have to dissolve if they haven't found anything that they, they want to sink their teeth into. So you only have two years in which to find a company, s- structure the deal, negotiate it, and then get it across the finish line or else you're liquidated and all the money goes back to the investors.
0: Right? There's, there's a, a lot, lot more urgency, like a venture capital fund usually has 10 years to, to invest their money. Um, so there are time limits on all these investments. Um, Yeah, this, this one happens to be a bit shorter and we're we're, we're working with a shorter fuse on virtually everything digital today. And so anything that can be done digitally, um, we're, we're, we're kind of compressing the time that we're, uh, we're allowing that we're expecting things to happen. Um, that's, that's kind of universally across the board. Um, in the past you know things just happened at a slower pace i mean just um communications was much slower i mean you couldn't just get on a zoom call and talk to somebody on the other side of the world
1: now you you had to write your message out by hand and then roll it up into one of those little you know scrolls <laughs> and then put it on the leg of a passenger pigeon and send that off it's, you'll you'll have to tell me what that was like I, that, that was before my time yeah
0: yeah that um well, see, in in eighteen fifty or the middle eighteen hundreds, that's when Paul Reuters invented the Reuters News Service. And his um, his technology of the day was actually um, the carrier pigeons that would carry the. That was like
1: the state of the art. That
0: was the state of the art, and they carried uh, these these messages across the Ural Mountains in Europe, and and he was able to 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 get the news there uh much faster than any um any other service at the time and so when when abraham lincoln got shot in 1864 um the news of the president's assassination was traveling across the atlantic on a ship and just think about that i mean they had to wait and wait and wait to get news um and so what eight to ten days for a ship to get across the atlantic and so they had uh, they had that news traveling and as soon as they got to the shore in europe then then reuters put the these messages on the pigeons and shot it around europe and and was able to break the stories three days before the traditional news services there interesting
1: okay yeah. which is an obvious advantage if you can if you can have that informational asymmetry and know things before everyone else does. There's a clear advantage to that.
0: Well, yeah, just um,
1: if you're the first to know, uh, that gives you a huge advantage. Now, Thomas, do you imagine that the accelerated timeline of SPACs might lead to certain perverse incentives? Maybe you don't structure the deal as carefully as, as you otherwise might, or you don't do as much due diligence on the companies as you otherwise might? Is there potential for this to have sort of a negative impact on investor funds?
0: Well, yeah, see, it, it, it takes a certain amount of time to groom customers. Um, if you have a product or a service that you're selling to people, it takes, it takes time and energy to, to craft that relationship and then to manage that relationship. And you need really good people to do that. In the digital world, we're relying on AI to handle much of that. And there's, there's just things that'll start falling through the cracks that we don't know where the human ends and the AI begins. Um, so we're, we're gonna run into lots of issues like that. Um, it's, it's not clear just yet uh, how much you can accelerate things and, and still form a durable company. I mean, I, I I think we're in a lot of cases, we're still building uh, houses of cards that, uh, you know, a good windstorm and everything's going to blow down.
1: And is that mostly because people are trying to push the process forward more quickly? Or do you think there are other factors at play there?
0: Um, there, there are other factors at play. Like, uh, as an example, the reason Amazon is such a such a good company right now is because they they have they have spent just an amazing amount of time crafting that user interface so it just clicks with everybody that uh, gets here and uses it. now the user interface that's developed for somebody in the United States is going to be different than somebody in China or in Vietnam or Sweden, uh, because we all think about things differently. That user interface is, uh, is the key to, um, to so many things in the digital world. And, in getting that right is, um, I
1: think just absolutely critical. And with a, a SPAC having this two year timeline, there's just a lot less time to prove all of that out to do the market (laughs) testing to groom the customers, as you say. And and therefore, it's it's just in the nature of the case, it's going to be that there's less scrutiny on these companies, there's less scrutiny on the deals. And so it's only a matter of time before one of them blows up in a spectacular fashion.
0: Right, right. And, And, and so we don't, we don't currently know, I mean, as we're accelerating these timelines, what steps we can skip. Um, uh, can we just leapfrog over and just skip uh, skip step number 13?
1: Well, because presumably the SEC has not crafted the optimal uh, chain of of steps you have to take to to bring a company to the public market, right? I mean, there's no reason to assume they've gotten every single thing, right? So it takes (laughs) a lot longer going that route. But there's no reason to think that there aren't parts of it that are suboptimal that could be skipped. It's just a question of whether or not this is the way to do it and still be safe.
0: Right. Right. And, and keep in mind that the SEC is an American, uh, regulatory agency. Um, when you have global
1: operations, um, it doesn't, doesn't work nearly as well. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, with, in the case of something like Ethereum, where they're not even sure whether this counts as a security, it's many of the old definitions (coughs) just don't map onto what's out there in the market currently.
0: Yeah. They don't fit into the boxes of the forms that we had in the past. Um, yeah, and so we're we we're, we're rewriting the rules. We're rewriting the definitions, and um, and so we don't know what things apply and what things don't. Uh, this this becomes um, uh, what I what I refer to as maximum Freud. Uh, this <laughs> uh, this is <laughs> it's kind of a funny term, but um, when when an, one era ends and a new era begins. Um, that's, that's what I call maximum Freud because that's why, a, why
1: that term like that, 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 that's
0: what time when most people spend their hours on the Freudian couch trying to figure out
1: what's going on. Oh, I see. You weren't <laughs> happy with the term paradigm shift you, or phase shift or any of these other things. Yeah. I,
0: I just, uh, it just seemed like that was such a, a corny name that it seemed to, to fit. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, I, I, I came up with that term because I took a course, many years ago in college on on how to use a slide rule and (laughs) uh many many years ago many years ago and and i'd asked my advisor if i had to take it because calculators were coming out but they're pretty pricey at the time and he said he dismissed it said basically all engineers need to know how to reuse slide rules so i took the course and passed it but this is this is one of those maximum freud periods where. Uh, But but here's the key thing is all technology ends. Every piece of technology that you're using today you know, hundred years from now, you're not going to be using it. It's probably not going to exist. So all technology ends, and it gets replaced with something else.
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that because it's been years and years since I read the book, but I seem to recall Kevin Kelly making sort of the opposite point in what technology wants. Have you ever read that book? Oh yeah. I I, I could just be making this completely up, so don't don't hold me to this. But I I yeah. think that he says that actually <laughs> technology loses its uh it loses its priority or it loses. The, the vaunted position it has when it's replaced, but it never really goes away. Like you can still find places where they make horseshoes for horses. And uh, obviously that's not a, a mainline mainstream profession anymore, blacksmith yeah. or, or whatever it would be, but it never really goes away. It just becomes far more specialized and there's just right. a few people who use it. Right. There's not like in an advanced society anyway. Maybe little...
0: I I I think you'd have a hard time finding somebody making Commodore computers, though.
1: Oh, I guess that, I guess that's true. Well, so you'd have to broaden the category a little bit. So they're still using computers or calculators, yeah. But individual brands, yeah. I, I don't think you could find a Commodore computer on the market anymore. So uh, while while it's true uh, true
0: in that respect that uh, there's these residual uses still still out there, uh, for the most part it's dwindled down. So it's not. Um, not even doesn't even register on the radar screen anymore um but but these but it gets replaced with something else i mean the primary use gets done in some other fashion yeah the need doesn't go away yeah the, the the thing that you need to accomplish gets accomplished in a vastly different way okay and um and and so that's that's a long way to go about explaining
1: how Things will change. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things change is, is the takeaway from today's episode. Um, and and so I, I think we we got off on the the maximum Freud tangent because you were saying that Spacs were kind of an example of that, or or, or maybe a, a symptom of it.
0: Well, well, right. Um, because the old the old ways of doing things um, aren't aren't very efficient at all. Most <clears throat> most M and A platforms out there, the merger and acquisition uh platforms that are out there are very um very archaic they're uh, they're open to the privileged few right um and very few people actually understand how these things work and it's it's kind of an insider deal um if if these are somehow opened up to the masses um, and I, I've been working with a company in Korea that's trying to do that. They're trying to make it so that you have an online platform so that anybody can invest for M and and they're trying deal. to do
1: for M A's what angel listed for, for venture venture investing or angel investing.
0: Right. Um, similar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're try, trying to open it up and they think they can, uh, double the number of deals
1: happening in Korea on an annual basis. What, what does it look like for a person like you or I to get involved in an M&A deal? Like, what would our role be?
0: Well, it would be an investment. So uh, we just write them a check and it, we get yeah. shares in the new. Like, why do they need the money? Um, it, it depends on the situation. Okay. Um, depending on how this merger is happening, but they're they they need some. Uh, typically, a company is is buying another company, and they need extra money in order to. To accomplish that purchase. Okay, to
1: fulfill the terms of the deal. Right. And that's where you come in and you get shares in the new entity. Right. So right. It.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and, but there's, there's lots of variations on how that all
1: gets accomplished. So th- there is this sort of trade-off between, I, I guess you would say robustness and efficiency, or maybe that's not the right way to frame it, robustness and speed. So it is true that there's this sort of grid of rules that has accreted around the process of two companies merging or a company going public, but arguably, and this isn't necessarily my position, I just kind of want to get your opinion on it. Arguably, that's in place to slow things down because you need more time to do due diligence. You need more time to flesh out the deal and make sure it's not going to explode and destroy a lot of value. So are you at all worried about SPACs speeding this up, meaning that we're going to bypass a lot of the rules that are there to keep us all safe?
0: Right, uh, so this falls into the category of systems thinking right um, Why do we have systems uh, who who puts them in place? Well, they seem
1: and, mostly to just happen.
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's usually a governmental th- thing, but a lot of times they've evolved over time and the the, the one example that I use a lot is is that, you go back way back in history and during the time of the ancient greeks we had several famous greek mathematicians we had people like archimedes pythagoras euclid but then when the romans came around we didn't have any famous roman mathematicians that's what i can think of <clears throat> and and the reason for that is because they used roman numerals roman numerals were a, a stupid numbering system now the, the the romans weren't less bright than the greeks were they were they were intensely bright people but uh, it was such an inferior numbering system; it didn't have the placeholder numbers—the ones, the tens, the right. hundreds, the thousands. It so, has a lot
1: of friction in the process of trying to think in yeah, a creative and mathematical. Y- way.
0: Essentially, every number was an equation, right. and that prevented them from doing any higher math. So then, I like to use that as as a, a quick test, and ask the question of what systems do we employ today that are the equivalent to Roman numerals that are preventing us from doing great things. And, uh, and and when you put that lens on, when you start looking at society around us and start asking that question, we, we start seeing these things all over the place. I mean we have a calendar that has 30 days some months 31 days other months (laughs) and then we have february
1: well why is that a good system well all you have to do is sing the little song in your head and you can remember what all the days are (coughs) well
0: yeah yeah but is that a good system (laughs) Uh, could it be done more efficiently i suspect so yes Uh, yeah um we have um uh, we have weights and numbering system. we have a half implemented metric system in the united states we uh we have currencies that are floating in in value out there is that a good system we we have uh daylight savings time uh we have time zones around the world we have all of these systems layered upon other systems upon other systems and and uh once you start asking the question well is this the best way to do things and, and SPACs are going to fall into that category, too, where you put on this lens and start asking the questions, well, is this the best way to do things? Is do you mean
1: traditional IPOs? We, we ask that question of traditional IPOs, or we ask that question of SPACs? We both? should
0: ask the question of both, yeah. Of
1: both. Okay, so I mean, yeah. where do you come down? I, I, I want to circle back around to this because that whole uh, territory, that, that, that territory is very interesting. But um, I want you to weigh in on IPOs and SPACs first.
0: Yeah. I I think they're 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 both deeply flawed. Uh is there a better system out there? I don't think it's we've seen it yet. Yeah. Um and so um virtually every system that we're using today, whether it's a system that guide, governs us on highways, it's a system of of laws and rules uh how we pay our taxes. Um all of these systems, the systems that were, were governed by just take enormous amounts of time, time and energy. And, uh, and then then you should start asking the question, well, do we have to do it that way? Is there a better way of doing it? Uh, just I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, um, my wife had to, to go down, uh, she was trying to get a copy of her driver's license. Um, they had said that they would mailed it out a couple times. And it it wasn't there, and so we had to drive down to this um, to this office in Lakewood, and wait outside, uh, and talk to some. We had to wait socially distance ourselves, right. waiting in line with masks on and everything, to to talk to somebody uh, about getting this driver's license, and then they came out and said that that. Uh, that had already got mailed to her and she argued with them and they finally took her inside. <laughs> and so this took the better part of a day mm-hmm. for us to go down there and actually get this driver's license ironed out. And then you start asking the question, well, do we need, do we need physical identification? Can't we just use virtual identification? Right. This isn't our body or uh, our personal entity enough why do we need to have this card that we show somebody
1: that the government says that it's legal now for us to drive on the roads?
0: Yeah. That, that system is, is deeply flawed. And so I, so that, that circles around to come back to, to SPACs and, and SPACs I think are just, um, it, it's a, it's a system, but, uh, these are all human made systems. So right. we're all going to have problems with them.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's just a way of trying to cut through some of, of the barriers that are in place. Right.
0: Right. And I, th- I think they, they have a lot of good intentions, um, but that, uh, that
1: doesn't mean we're going to build good companies. <laughs> if only there was some pithy saying that captured what happens with good intentions and how they can <laughs> lead you to places you wouldn't want to go. If only. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I want to pick your brain a little bit on evaluating the systems that are in place because there's a, there's a famous thought experiment called Chesterton's Fence. Are you familiar with this? No, I don't think so. Well, so it's, it's attributed to G.K. Chesterton in w- one of his books. It's, it's not uh, unique to him, but he, he gave it this, this neat little title. And the basic idea is that you know, if you're walking down the road and you see a fence you know, built across the road... Uh, there's one class of people that say, I don't see any obvious use for this. Let's just tear it down and move on. And there's another class of people that say, you can't tear it down until you know exactly why it was put there. And then maybe you can entertain the possibility of taking it down because people tend not to just do things for completely random reasons. Even if it's not clear what the function of a way of doing things is – you still have to be very careful just ripping all of it out uh, because it can often lead to far worse consequences than just having the system in place. So th- I, I think it's fair to say that sitting outside for half a day to get your license renewed is suboptimal. But it's often not clear how all the different parts of a system interrelate and what they're doing and how they function exactly. and, and what the yeah. role that they're playing in a person's life is. So th- I just would urge a certain amount of caution and, and ask you how you go about trying to evaluate a given s- system and how you try to evaluate alternatives to it?
0: Yeah, uh, a great question. I, I think
1: we only do great questions here.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think we have great answers for that. Um, because when when you are confronted with a situation like that, you you just spot all the things that are wrong with it. Right. Um, and then you you, you, you don't know how they managed to back into that, that way of doing things. And, and naturally COVID has complicated all kinds of oh, things. Yeah. It is um, made uh, things exponentially worse in so many areas. But, um, but managing our way through problems like this, I think is the uh, I don't know, we, we have to build better efficiencies um, or, around these regulatory areas. Um,
1: so. Well, what if we didn't, though? I mean, what, what if instead we devolve it to localities? And, and instead of saying, well, we need a regulatory framework to encompass 300 million people in one of the biggest countries in the world, what if we just said, no, it's a, it's a state's issue, and that means some states will badly mishandle it, and, and people will be sick there. But there's just no way to blanket the land in a set of regulations that will work in all these different circumstances. Like, like maybe, maybe this is an example of a place where, less is more We're we're having local solutions and people sort of negotiating their own, uh, the, the, the conditions that they find is a better way of handling this.
0: Yeah. Well, I do think that these points of frustration like this are what spur uh, entrepreneurs to have these epiphanies that they'll, they'll come up
1: with new ways of doing things. Them saying like, there has to be a better way than this.
0: Yeah. Because they're, they're wasting enormous amounts of time and energy and man hours um, dealing with the inefficiencies of a system like this. And, uh, and, the, the state could save a lot of money just in, in, uh, uh payroll, just, uh, to dealing with, uh, uh, kind of people trying to work their way, fight their way through the, the complexity of it all. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, I was just reading an article last night that, um, uh, that there's, there's probably some really good things that are come out of the pandemic because we're not going to go back to the way we were doing things in the past. We're going to be forced to do things in a different way, and so this idea of resilience resilience uh, basically means you you're flexible enough to to go back to the way you were doing it before, but um, using different terminology, we're going back to something that's different and something that's better and more
1: efficient than before what are some examples like like what what are some of the silver linings that will come out of this things that will stay the same and that are better
0: yeah um <clears throat> well certainly the the work from home um that that's going to change things dramatically um i think that for so many things that this is way better but there's uh, there's unintended consequences all along the way oh, yeah. in that these these little relationships that we had with people uh, you just bump into somebody at the water cooler and you strike up a conversation. You're you're building um, uh, a much more durable relationship with that person, um, and they will spontaneously help you on a problem that you uh, you had no idea how to even ask for help on. Um, th- that type of thing uh, is getting lost in the mix right now. Um, we're 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 also um, like my son works in a company that's one of the largest, um, totally virtual companies in the world. And, uh, for the most part, he's, he's not met the people that he works with face to face. He's just met them, uh, virtually. And, uh, and then when you actually meet somebody face to face, then, oh, well, they, they, they smell funny. Or they, <laughs> they, yeah. They comb their hair funny or they, there. There's little weird things about them. Which is, which is absolutely fine. But, uh, uh, but it's something that you don't, you don't recognize that you're not dealing with on a regular basis, because you're only seeing them through the lens of, of this uh, video screen,
1: their zoom avatar.
0: Yeah, their zoom avatar. Yeah. And so their, their online personality is different than their uh, in person personality.
1: <laughs> you mean to tell me people are different online than they are in real life? I I find that hard to believe. I, I completely agree. I think that the the work from home and the the distributed way that we handle a lot of these things is very good. But at the same time, humans were not built. Or we didn't evolve to conduct our social affairs that way. Uh, you know, mediated by a computer, and and that you're right, something is lost. And it isn't just the relationships. It's often just little sparks of serendipity that happen throughout the day where you overhear something and that gives you an idea for a new approach to a problem that you're having. A lot of that just, it, it's really difficult to engineer into digital spaces. You have algorithms that can kind of surface articles or make connections for you, but it, it's really hard to capture the same dynamic yeah, virtually.
0: Um, yeah, my wife and I, um, every every January, we go to a consumer electronics show. Right. Uh, go in Las Vegas, and when you're walking around the convention center, you just randomly run into things, and and things become discoverable, mm-hmm. um, and there is a lot of serendipity there. It's just you just have to run into people, into things, into objects, and, and you overhear conversations here and there, and you find out about things you you had no idea that you wanted to learn about. Right. Uh, because you didn't know they existed before you actually spotted that one
1: thing. Yeah, And you and can go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole, but it's not quite the same thing.
0: Right, right. Um, so so you're losing all of that at, at the same token, if you wanted to go from one session in the South hall to another session in the North hall, almost impossible to do quickly. In, in Las Vegas and and invariably you get lost you, you get sunk into some CES rabbit hole along the way <laughs> uh, so you you can make that transition very quickly um, my sense is there's a lot of people um, just watching all these zoom sessions uh, it, it's, it's very wearing on you it uh, tires you out and and they they they, they end up uh, uh, suffering from zoom fatigue yeah. and, and y- you don't, you don't experience as much in a virtual um, expo as you would in a, in a real life expo. That's true. Um, anyway, I find it I find it harder to be fully engaged in an event like that if it's not if I'm not there in person.
1: Well, so that's one of the downsides. Lots of upsides and downsides to the Yeah, the way the world has been reconfigured in the wake of COVID.
0: Yes. So so we're, we're seeing a, a lot of this happening today. And, um, and, and I, I've I don't know. There, there's good sides and bad sides to all of it, but um, we're we're still still uncovering all of the unintended consequences, the the things that we're trying our best to mitigate, but they're still happening anyway.
1: It's been pretty remarkable just the the way institutions have responded, and I, I think that COVID has shed some light on social fabric in America or these deep divisions that we all kind of suspected were there, but. We're not as prominent until something like a global pandemic came about,
0: right? Um, well, it's it's forced us, it's forced us to pause and to take some time to uh, a period of introspection. Uh, we we want to we we've taken some time to analyze our life and is this really where I wanted to be at this right. point in my life? And a lot of people are saying absolutely not. Um, and so we're, we're seeing the biggest job transition in all history. Is that right? Yeah. And just huge number of people are moving from one state to the next, uh, just because I don't want to be here anymore. Why am I paying this huge amount of rent in San Francisco or New York when I could be living in uh, rural America and, and paying just a fraction and doing the same job yeah. and getting the same pay? Why, why didn't I do that? And so lots of people are making those shifts and, uh, it's, uh, so we're, we're seeing moving truck businesses just going skyrocketing because they have have so much business right now. Moving companies. Yeah. That, uh, and and so a lot of these things we could have never predicted. Um, but we're, we're just starting to see how this is unfolding in ways that, uh, just never imagined.
1: Do you have any data on? how that breaks down so like if it's the largest job transition in history where are people going to like what are the sectors that are suffering and losing people and what are the sectors that are gaining and and uh, benefiting as a result
0: yeah we're we're, we're seeing a um, uh, a huge big new sector of of long-term unemployment um it's not exactly uh, what i had in mind. yeah <laughs> some some people are just un- unable to find new jobs and And so as, um, as we're, making these transitions though, um, people are, are going back and getting educated. We're, we're seeing this, um, this rapid rising competition with college degrees right now. Um, as, as people can get a certificate and they can, um, be eligible for a new career path. And so we're, we're seeing that happening with an amazing speed. Um, but, uh, so, the 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 sectors that people are dropping out of are uh, like the food service industry because um, they, they've been shut down multiple times, right. uh, losing their jobs, and they they just said, "Well, the hell with it, I'm just I'm just going to go do something else," and um, and and so they're 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 just figuring out a, a new way of doing things. People that used to be Uber drivers, they're figuring out something else to do because Uber's only got a fat fraction of the riders that they used to have. Um, and, uh, and, and so the, the food delivery services though, are, are ramped up in, in a huge way to, right. to offset some of the, the, the Uber losses there. Um, so, so there's, there's lots of uh, interesting transitions we're going through.
1: One of which is SPACs. It's facts. Yeah, yeah to to work our way back around to that so yeah. um, are there any spac related businesses that you think are especially compelling so I mean you've been researching this quite a bit recently are there any that kind of excite you that you know companies that otherwise might not have much of a shot of achieving an IPO or going public or uh, otherwise raising that that money are, are there any that you think are especially worth watching.
0: Well, I saw a flying drone company, um, uh, a drone taxi company, air, air taxi that uh, just suddenly got a pile of money as they're moving forward
1: to go public. And they're doing this through us back. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing it
0: through us back. Yeah. That uh, that, that caught my attention um, because these, these are things that kind of have to prove themselves out. And um, we don't know when the public's ready to start flying across the city.
1: Um, oh, interesting! Oh, so yeah, you said drone taxis. So this would actually be people getting inside of a drone, uh-huh. going yeah. into the air, and then traveling that way. Yeah, flying across the
0: city. Yeah. Wow. Are you ready for
1: that? No, I'm not. I. I it amazes me that they've... I, I want
0: a lot of other people to go first. <laughs> right, yeah, thousands <laughs> and thousands, preferably. Um,
1: so, it kind of amazes me that they have managed to get past the FAA regulations to to test this. Like, like where are they rolling out?
0: I know that they're doing this in Seoul, Korea, but the, oh, this okay. particular company is a U.S.-based company. Interesting. Um, and so, uh, China's actually got um, air taxi service across Beijing right now. Oh wow! Um, and you can just jump in and fly across the city.
1: Do you know if it's uh, working very well for them?
0: Uh, they just talk about it happening. I uh, see. It's it's all about the pricing. Yeah. Um, if the if the price is low enough then the demand's going to skyrocket right uh if i can avoid all this traffic uh just uh go go across the you know 20 miles across the city in five minutes that
1: uh, what's 90 minutes of your life worth to you
0: yeah uh, for for certain executives this is a no-brainer and then you start trying to work your way down to okay where are they going to land is are they landing on top of buildings? Do we have special airports, mini airports yeah. for them to land at? Um, and then how many times do they come and go across the city on a right. daily basis? And can you can you go can you um, hyper individualize your destination so that you can land in somebody's backyard? <laughs> uh, I, I would think in the US that the FAA is not going to allow anything like that to right, start happening. Right. Um, and so how do these how are we able to track all of these new, uh, regulations? And, uh, and at, at some time in the future, every major city is going to have 50,000 drones flying overhead on a daily basis.
1: And how do you coordinate all that? Yeah.
0: How do you, how do you manage that? And we're, we're ill-equipped to do that today. Right. Um, how long before we're, we're able to ramp up and manage that type of traffic flow and make sure that nobody gets killed in the meantime. Right. Um, these are things that we're moving towards quickly. And, and having a funding tool like this to fund, things, because these are, invariably one of these is gonna take off, one of these air taxi companies, because there are literally hundreds of these coming out of the woodwork, people figuring out how to, we went from the hobbyist drone version right. to suddenly, well, let's make it bigger and let's put people in it, and let's start <laughs> flying across the city. And, and I'm seeing videos of these, these self driven, almost like motorcycle air taxis flying across uh, cities. Uh, today, I'm seeing lots of people demonstrating them. And, uh, and so it's, so it's just a matter of time.
1: What are some of the ways that this funding vehicle can go wrong as a SPAC?
0: Um Well, I mean, you put a lot of money into a company, and it just uh, doesn't build a revenue stream that you think it's gonna uh, build. I mean, this is, this is the Webvan uh, problem. I mean, Webvan was a company that started in, I think, 1999 and, and uh, went through $800 million and died in 2001. And uh, it had seemingly all the right ingredients, had a really top-notch CEO, uh, uh, the CEO of Accenture, um Was was running it. Uh, he quit his job that was paying four million dollars a year, and and uh, was running it. So they just went through a tremendous amount of money in a short period of time, and they were just delivering groceries to people's homes. Right. And uh, they couldn't make that work, and that that has all taken much more time to evolve. And uh, and today, I mean, everybody uh knows that they can order groceries to have them delivered
1: to their home right so it just gives you a quicker way to to come to market with all the advantages and disadvantages that that entails so if if you can you can strike while the iron is hot or you could burn through 800 billion dollars in a couple of years in crater yeah so first mover
0: advantage is not always the ideal thing yeah uh sometimes that
1: movement is you plowing into the dirt
0: yeah. Um, you know, Google, Google was basically the last mover advantage. Um, there was a lot of search engines before Google. And, uh, and they they seem to, to have the better formula, the better recipe for doing a search. That's true. And they've, they've improved on it.
1: Uh, uh, a zillion times since then. Yeah, exactly. One <laughs> zillion. One zillion. <laughs> one yeah. Zillion times. <laughs> so you, you don't hear as much about last mover advantage. Right. But I, it strikes me that it, depending on the sector, it could be just as great uh, and just as decisive a factor in your eventual success as first mover advantage.
0: Yeah. Um, somebody else has blazed the trail for you. And um, and then and then once they've worked all the kinks out of the system, then you could take advantage of You see
1: all where them. all those skulls are piled up. You yeah. just like, avoid that because it all, looks all unpleasant.
0: The, <laughs> all the guys with arrows in their backs. Right, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Interesting. So, do you have any predictions for how SPACs will play out over, let's say, three years, eight years, and thirteen years, <laughs> respectively? <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, I actually think uh, later later this year we'll see a lot more regulations piled on SPACs, but um, but uh, that will that will come after a. Um, there were a couple of colossal failures, probably.
1: Well, hopefully some successes as well.
0: yeah, uh, I think we're going to see some some good successes. we We have a tremendous amount of money floating around right now yeah. and and that it was it's been fueled partly by by all the stimulus money uh, that's come out of the woodwork. and so we've we've energized the economy in ways that has never happened in all, all of history. Uh, the pan, the pandemic, is the most expensive crisis in all history. This is more expensive, uh, by multiple factors than world war II. Um, uh, it's, it's just a staggering, staggering number. How much money we've spent <clears throat> probably in the range of 30, $30 trillion us dollars. Is that uh, the United
1: States or the world or the, the world? Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, And then we've we've compared that in some of the numbers and how much it would cost to pandemic proof the world. And there's different formulas for pandemic proofing the world, but that's probably only in the range of 50 billion a year
1: uh, to to pandemic proof the world. It would only cost cost $50 billion a year.
0: Yeah. um, I mean, the first thing you do is you want to clean up the meat supply uh, of the world. I mean, oh, well, yeah, you, you can't sell any any meat that hasn't been um irradiated or cleaned with some uv uh cleansing system um having uh, 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 yeah if we clean up the meat supply that could mean uh plant-based meat substitutes it could be um, lab-grown meats uh, the clean meats Um, uh, we could have a lot of that and um and then once, once we do that, then we can devise other technologies for um, uh, genetically engineering virus-proof skin on people, um, for uh, self-cleaning houses, for uh, the. There's 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 lots of other new technology that can come out of the woodwork for if we set that as a a global goal to pandemic-proof the world, I mean this has been a huge problem so why do we ever want to go through it ever again in history, and if we spend 50 billion dollars a year that's a token. Uh, a, a rounding error compared to the, the 30000000000000 trillion we're shooting, Yeah, the so.
1: stimulus checks that have gone out. But it seems like there's lower hanging fruit there. I mean, really really just having stockpiles of masks, having protocols in place for what happens when this, uh, w- when an outbreak occurs. And then now there will be this set of programs in the sort of cultural immune system. Like we, we will all remember what this was like, and we will be more prepared in the future to huddle in place should another virus come out of a... You know, region and yeah, but that's
0: what we're trying to avoid. We don't want to have to huddle in place. We want to, we want we want life to go on, and uh, this see. never have happened. Yeah. Uh, so if we can prevent it from, from the start, I mean, is there a way of doing that? Um, there's still a lot of debate about can we pandemic-proof the world.
1: It sure seems like it would take more than fifty billion dollars. I, I do. I I buy that you could get some basic provisions in place for that you could clean up the meat supply and, and maybe put some laws in place but it, it sure seems like it would take more than 50 billion for us to never worry about a pandemic again
0: oh 50 billion and 5 50 billion and 6
1: dollars <laughs> 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 you're right what was, what was i thinking yeah <laughs> 5 or 10 more dollars <laughs> Well, in the, uh, in the closing minutes here, do you have anything you want to add about SPACs or Chesterton's Fence or complex systems or genetic engineering or uh, drone taxis? Yeah,
0: I, I just think we're living in such fascinating times, even though the the world seems to be just way out of sync with the way we were living uh, a year and a half ago, that we're, this is such a fascinating time to be alive because we're witnessing transitions uh, taking place, and so much of the technology that we're using in our lives uh, didn't exist 20 years ago. Right. Uh, I mean, nobody knew what Zoom technology was 20 years ago. Uh, being able to take pictures with our phones 20 years ago, really <laughs> crappy pictures. Right. Um, and and just all of these things have just kind of come out of the woodwork and become part of our daily lives, and we've we've grown accustomed to it. It's and and so. This this rate of changes is, is picking up, and that's enabling us to accomplish much more on a daily basis. Um, this technology is additional tools in our toolbox. It gives us these additional capabilities. So somebody um, ten years from now should be able to accomplish maybe ten times as much as the average person today.
1: Yeah, far more productive.
0: Yeah, uh, just because they can leverage all these additional tools. Um, you know, somebody in the past, you know, somebody with the toolbox is more valuable than somebody without. So today, as we move forward, somebody with a robot is going to be more valuable than Mm -hmm. somebody without somebody with AI is going to be more valuable than somebody without. So as as we start adding all of these extra capabilities, then the the time it takes to accomplish things is going to go down. And our specs part of this, um, maybe I mean, we have to test the water in ways that we have we to see if they have staying in the power
1: and it, if, if it's going to lead to more blow ups than yeah, major. Successes. So, so this
0: this type of experimentation has to happen. Uh, we, we have to test the limits on an ongoing basis. And uh, I think this is a great experiment. I and mean, we're going to see what comes out of it. Um, I, I just uh, can't help but think we're going
1: to have a few uh, failures along the way though. I'm sure we will. <laughs> well, fantastic. Um, I'm not really sure how to close it out. Nor- normally I, I thank the guests for being here, but I, I, it doesn't make sense for, for me to thank <laughs> us really. So I, I should thank the audience, right? So <laughs> yeah. thank you for listening to the Futurati podcast. Check us out on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts and uh, drop us a like if, uh, if you enjoy this content. Thanks.